Good evening. Please have your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have one, I'm sure you can stick your hand up and someone will uh, get one to you. Could we have the first slide up, please? There they are, the happy couple. Now, who was watching the royal wedding yesterday? Anyone? Yeah? Who enjoyed it? Good watch? I love a good British spectacle, don't you? I love all that pomp and circumstance, the cantering horses, the shiny armour, the soldiers stood there, the, just the, the spectacle that is a royal wedding. I love it, all of it. And of course now, if you hit the next button, just married. Yes, it went off without a hitch, didn't it? All that security, all of that preparation, and now they're married. The royal wedding completed. But all of that spectacle, all of that pomp and circumstance, none of that would have happened were it not for one very small detail, one A5, shall we say, sized detail. They wouldn't have had all those A-list guests turning up were it not for an invitation. They wouldn't have had the party that they had at Frogmore House afterwards were it not for an invitation. The invitation, of course, is a very, very important aspect of a wedding. And I know how stressful it is to organise that part of the wedding because I sat and watched while Hannah did most of it. It was clearly a very stressful thing to undertake. If you press the next button again, who's... There we go. There's the invitation. Don't they look fancy? I've got some facts here about the invitation to the royal wedding. Mine got lost in the post. Um, however, I can tell you that these invitations follow many years of royal tradition and have been made by Barnard Westwood. They feature the three-feathered badge of the Prince of Wales, printed in gold ink. Mm, very nice. All these invitations were printed on a machine from the 1930s and they were printed in gold and black and gilded around the edges to make them look extra fancy. According to one tweet, the invites were printed on English card using American ink, a subtle but romantic nod to the fact that Prince Harry is English while Markle is American. Isn't that impressive? Isn't that fancy? I can tell you that ours were definitely not that fancy. Um, they definitely were not that expensive, and there definitely were not about 800 of them either, because these went out to about 600 people, uh, 200 of which were invited to the evening reception. So, an invitation. An invitation to a royal wedding. The parable that we're looking at tonight is all about a royal wedding. It's all about an invitation to that wedding. It's called the parable of the wedding banquet. You could easily call it, though, if you wanted to, the parable of the invitation to the wedding banquet. And just to give you a sense of context for this parable, Jesus is speaking uh, to an audience of the religious elite, the high and mighty, self-righteous Pharisees, they were called. These guys thought they had all the God stuff boxed off. They thought that if anyone was going to get to heaven, if anyone was going to be judged close to God, it was him. It was them, the Pharisees, the high and mighty religious elite. And Jesus is about to spend 14 verses telling them how wrong they are. Telling them that getting into heaven, having a relationship with Christ, with God, is not about how many religious boxes you have ticked. It's not about how many laws you have kept. It's about what you will do in your heart with Jesus. It's about what you will do in your heart with the Saviour. 
And so this follows a series of rebukes that Jesus has been giving to these religious leaders. And he uses this parable as a picture to explain something about God, something about how one enters heaven. A parable, if you didn't know, and that's fine, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a story that Jesus would create using the things that people knew, farming, fishing, weddings, and he would make that story show something about God or show something about heaven or show something about himself. And the breakdown of this parable is as follows. If you just go to the next slide, please, and hit the next button. We have a king in this story. We have a king. The king represents God. Okay, simple enough. The next one, we have a son, the prince, whose wedding party this is, representing Jesus, of course. Next, we have the party. We have the wedding reception. Everything is ready. And, of course, we have an invitation representing the message of the gospel that goes out. And finally, we have guests. There they are, looking very happy, enjoying the wedding party. But there are three types of guests in this parable, or three responses to the invitation to the wedding banquet. We'll see that only one out of three of those responses results in people actually coming to the wedding and staying. We'll start with the first of those responses, though. If you look at verses 1 to 7, we see that there are those who would not come to the wedding in verses 1 to 7. Thank you. So if you look there in uh, verse 3, the invites are sent out. They're sent out to those who have been previously invited to the banquet. You see, in Jesus' day, there would be two invites sent out. It's not like today when you just get one sent through the post. They didn't have a postal system. So you would be invited to the wedding initially. And someone would say, in several months or weeks or whatever, I'm getting married and I'd like you to come. Thank you very much. And you'd say, yes, OK, that'd be nice. I'll be there. I'll be ready. And then there would be a second invitation where the declaration would be made, it's time for the wedding. It's time for the party. Come and enjoy. And you would say, yes, thank you very much. And you'd go along and enjoy the party. We're at the second invitation here for this wedding party. The original invitees have been invited and now the wedding reception is ready. The schlur is out on the table. The tables are set. The DJ and the band, they've turned up. Everything is just as it was meant to be. And yet now these people who were originally invited now refuse to come. They reject the invitation. Some of them just offer poor excuses. If you look down through these verses, verse 5, they paid no attention and went off. One went to his field, another to his business. If you look at the same story, the parallel story in uh, the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that some of them say, oh, I've just got married, so I can't come. I, you know, I'm busy being married. I'm going to go be married instead of going to the, the wedding. Or I've just bought some new cows, so I'm going to go try them out. I'd rather not come to the wedding, thanks. The excuses are rubbish. The worst excuses ever. If you got an invitation to the royal wedding yesterday, and mine got lost in the post, but if you got an invitation to the royal wedding, I don't know about you, but I'd probably drop everything to try and be there. What a spectacle. What an event to be invited to. And these guys refuse it. They refuse the invitation with rubbish excuses. Some of them do anyway. Some of them react with violence. They kill the servants that have been sent to give them the invitation. 
And whether through ignorance, whether through yeah, ignorance or, or violence, it shows that they had a hatred of the king and of his son within them. They weren't fussed about the king. They weren't fussed about the son. They weren't fussed about the wedding. It revealed a hatred of the king. And of course, the actions of these guys who rejected brought their ultimate destruction. You see, the same thing happened in chapter 21, in verse 33 onwards, in a different parable of the farmers. The owner of the vineyard has his servants killed, and the vineyard is taken over. But then if you see, I've lost the verse now. Where's it gone? At the end of chapter 21, verse 45, it says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Before that, Jesus just said, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So the original invitees, the original People invited to the kingdom of God have rejected and refused Jesus. And therefore, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from them and given to others. This is a picture for the guys listening to Jesus that they've missed the boat now. They thought it was all about them. Their self-righteous ways, their ticking, tick-boxing of the law. They thought it was all about them. But Jesus says, no, it's going to be taken away from you. If you've missed me, you've missed the boat. You've missed the point. And the hatred of Jesus was eventually revealed in their crucifixion of him. But Jesus said, when that happens, the gospel is going to go out. The invitation to the kingdom of God is going to go out to all. So there's a rejection from these guys that brings eventual destruction. That's relevant to the people Jesus is speaking to there, but it's also relevant to us as well. Perhaps you've heard the gospel thousands of times. Perhaps you've been badgered to come along tonight by a friend who's told you the gospel hundreds of times. And yet, do you still refuse? Do you still put it off for another week or another month or another year? Think, I'll, I'll deal with that another time. Whether through ignorance or passivity towards the gospel or outright rejection, all of those add up to a rejection at the end of the day. You've heard the gospel. You're invited to the party of heaven. What are you going to do? Are you still going to refuse that invitation? I think versus eternity, versus an eternity living how you were designed to live, no excuse is going to carry any weight, is it? Why would you refuse an invitation to the royal wedding of heaven? If we move on down into verse 8 and 10... After these original guests have rejected, the invitation goes out. The king says, all right then, they're not coming. The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Verse 9, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Again, if you to look at that in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, it says 
that the poor, the, the blind, the crippled and the lame were invited in to the wedding. So instead of the A-list celebrities like we saw trotting up to Windsor yesterday, it's now the broken, the social outcasts, the rejected, the forgotten about, the beggars, the homeless, they're all coming in. They've all been invited to the wedding now and the wedding hall is full of people such as these. Jesus says the message goes out to the good as well as the bad. What a picture. The gospel, the message of Jesus, is not reserved for a middle class, upper class audience. The message of the gospel is for everyone. Whoever you are, whatever your background, whether your past is littered with mistakes and failure, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. God loves you for who you are because he made you and he wants you for who you are. God's acceptance of you, or God's desire to have you, is not based on man's opinion of you. It's not even based on your opinion of yourself. God loves you completely, utterly, unconditionally, because you are his, because he made you, and he wants to bring you back into a relationship with himself. Do you understand that? The message of the gospel is that God wants you to be his child. He wants to be your father. He doesn't want to point the finger at you to, to sort your sinful life out. He does, but he wants to do that in order that you can be in a relationship with him, in order that you can be his son or daughter, in order that he can be your father. So the invitation goes out. The hall is filled some commentators have said that this is a place of laughter, full bellies, and second helpings. There's light, there's dancing, there's joy. That's heaven, friends. A place of full satisfaction, a place of full joy, because it's where God is, and he invented all of those things. That's where heaven is. So they accepted the invitation. But what is the invitation? I've been banging on about it for a while already. But what is the invitation? What does it say? The royal wedding invitation for the wedding yesterday has wording that goes like this. His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, requests the pleasure of the company of, insert name here, at the marriage of His Royal Highness, Prince Henry of Wales, with Ms. Meghan Markle at St. George's Chapel, Windsor Castle, on Saturday the 19th of May 2018, at 12 noon, followed by a reception at Windsor Castle. Very nice, very grand, isn't it? It's quite a fancy invitation, for sure. What is the wording of the invitation to the wedding of the Lamb, say? Well, it starts with bad news. It says that you and I, we're sinners. It says that you and I, we fall massively short of God's standard. In fact, we can't even get close. There's nothing we can do to get to God's level of perfection, and that's what we need to enter heaven. Did you know that? To get into heaven, you need to be 100% perfect. But there's a catch. You can't do that. There's no way you can achieve that standard. There's no way you can be 100% perfect because God is holy. He's completely other He's so much, high, so much higher and above what we are able to imagine. 
and he has to punish sin when he sees it. God cannot abide sin. And so that means in our natural state, in the state that we are born in, we can't be with God. The two don't compute. They don't go together. That's the bad news of the gospel. But the rest of the invitation to the gospel says, but God sent his son, Jesus. God sent Jesus Christ to live the life that we could never live, a perfect life, and to die a death that I deserved and that you deserved on a cross. And on that cross, all of my sin, all of your sin, was put onto him and he was crushed for it. God kills and crushes and condemns his own son so that you don't have to bear the penalty of sin. And on the cross, the other exchange is not only that Jesus has been crushed for your sin, but his goodness, his righteousness, his perfection has been transferred to you. So that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive you, asked him to come into your life and help you to live in the way that his spirit will help you to, to lead a life, you'll be brought into the family of God, sin removed, covered in Christ's perfection. So that when it comes to judgment, and when, God stand, when I stand before God and God sees me, he doesn't see the sinful, broken, messed up, failing Matt Horry. You know, he says, there is no sin in that man. There is no sin in that woman because they have put their faith in my son Jesus and all I see now is the beauty and the perfection of my beautiful son, Jesus Christ. That's what happens in the gospel. But why does Jesus do that? Why does God do that? For love. Because he made you. Because he wants you in his family. He doesn't just forgive your sin and then say, go on then, get on with it. Clean slate, there you go. He forgives your sin in order that you can come into a relationship with him so that you can be in his family, so you can be adopted into the family of God. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Yeah. That's the good news of the gospel, that we are brought into a relationship with God. When my granddad was dying six years ago or so, my dad had a phone call with him. It turned out to be one of the last phone calls he had with his dad. And um, had a long conversation, but then my dad had just kind of run out of things to say. And he said, Dad, I just don't know what to say. And my granddad replied down the phone, I love you, and you know it, and you love me, and I know it. What else is there to say? There's a bliss of a father-son relationship, a peace, a contentment that comes with being a child of God. Do you know it? Do you have it? Have you accepted it? It's offered to you by grace. That means being given something you don't deserve. It's been offered to you as a free gift. You can't pay a gift back. You can't earn a gift. It's given. The gospel of grace has been offered to you. What are you going to do with it? Every other religion in the world believes that you need to work your way towards God. You need to tick off so many boxes, complete so many different pilgrimages, do this, that, the other thing, in order to be accepted 
before God. And hopefully your good stuff will then outweigh the bad stuff. Christianity says, don't even bother doing that. It says something so much different. It says that it's all about grace. It's all about a free gift offered from God to you because he loves you and wants you in his family. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author, he was once invited to a debate to discuss the uh, main contribution of Christianity compared to all the other religions in the world. And he turned up late for the uh, debate, apparently. And he sat down and he said, right, so uh, what are we discussing again? Uh, what's the debate about? And he said, well, we're discussing the unique contribution of uh, Christianity to, uh, uh, you know, the, all the religions in the world. And Jesus, Jesus, C.S. Lewis said, well, that's easy. It's grace. That's all he had to say. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional towards you. Because he's sent his son Jesus to die for you, to bring you back to him. And he's not said, you need to work your way to me because it's impossible. So I've sent Jesus to give that free gift. There's a book in the Bible called Romans a great book. In there it says this, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve, all of us. We've all rebelled against God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a gift. Have you accepted it? Have you accepted this invitation? The wedding hall is full. A place of laughter, full bellies and second helpings. Are you there? You're on the table plan. He's done it all for you. He's made the way possible. He's made the way open. All you need to do is accept. Why do you still put it off? Why have you still not accepted? And if you're a Christian, are you living in the joy and light of that each day? Of knowing that Christ has died for you? And that he rose proving everything, everything he said was true. Proving that he really has defeated sin and defeated death. And do you live preaching the gospel to yourself every day and saying, yes, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. What can harm me? What can stand in my way? What can pull me out of God's hand? Nothing. Because he's my father and I'm his child. Have you accepted that? Do you know that peace? There's a third group of people. It's actually just the one. In verses 11 to 14, if you take a look. It's a bit of an odd uh, few verses because you may think this is a little bit harsh. Here's this guy. He's come into the, uh, the wedding party. And now he's um, been tied up by his hands and feet and he's been chucked out because he's wearing the wrong clothing. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? You've just gone out to all the street corners and invited in the beggars and the crippled, the lime, the, blame, the, the blind and the lame. And now you're chucking him out because he's wearing the wrong clothes. Is that what's going on here? Well, no. But Jesus is issuing a very, very clear warning here. He's saying, don't miss the point. The gospel, the invitation goes out to all of you. Yes. But there is something you've got to do. You need to accept it. You need to truly accept it. Saying there's a real danger here of going where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is real. Heaven is real. God is real. 
and to preach on the gospel and not preach about hell would be wrong, I feel. And I don't preach about it with a smile on my face. Hell is a horrible prospect. An eternity, a place without God forever. A place without a source of happiness, without love, without warmth. But don't argue with me, argue with Jesus. And then turn to the one who offers a way out of that. Who offers a way back to God. So yeah, we may think this is harsh, but if you were to put up the next picture, please. Just click through. Yeah, there we go. Right. There is a photo of myself and Hannah. She's the one in white uh, at our wedding. Um, and my ushers and her bridesmaids. Now, if one of my ushers thought it would be a good idea to turn up to our wedding just dressed in his pyjamas or his sweats, as you Liverpool people call jogging trousers, it'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? It'd show a certain level of disrespect. It'd show a certain level of not understanding the gravity of the day. And to be honest, I'd probably have to say, go and get changed or don't come. There's something particular about the clothes that you wear to the wedding. In Jesus' day... As you arrive to a wedding, you'd be given new clothing. You'd be given a wedding garment. That's what this is talking about. He's not saying he's just turned up in the wrong clothing. He means he's not accepted what was culturally a normal thing. You'd be given a wedding garment on arrival at a wedding. It would be to cover up the drab, dirty clothes of ordinary life. And then you'd enter into a place where everyone's dressed in these nice, clean garments. Like a uniform of celebration, if you will. A bit like ushers, a bit like bridesmaids. But this man has refused to accept that on the door in this picture. But the Bible uses imagery of clothing to symbolise purity, to symbolise righteousness in many different um, cases. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. You can turn to them if you want, but there's no need. Um, The first of these readings is from Zechariah 3, verses 3 to 5. I'll just read through them nice and quickly. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. Also in Revelation 19, the last book in the Bible, we see the same sort of imagery being used. This is pointing forward to the real wedding banquet that this parable is pointing forward to. When the church, that's you and that's me if we've trusted in Jesus, will be wedded to Jesus Christ for eternity. And there'll be a celebration and what a celebration that will be. And this is what is said. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then in brackets, just in case you didn't get it, the Bible actually puts this. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So there you have it. Imagery of righteousness, imagery of purity throughout the Bible combined with clothing. It seems to me that when someone becomes a Christian, they accept the invitation of the gospel, 
and they could step up to the wedding party of a relationship with God, of the kingdom of God, of heaven, and on the door, their filthy, sin-stained clothes are removed. And the righteousness, the perfection, the clean clothing of Christ is given to them. So that Christ sees not our sin, but he sees the beauty of Jesus. Have you had those sinful, stained clothes removed? Have you had your old life removed? Are you living a new life wearing the clean clothes of Christ? A reminder, it's not about how clean you can make them. You think of that imagery, you think of someone turning up to the wedding and trying to desperately bleach his clothes white before he steps in. That's what it's like to think that we can get ourselves close to God, that we can get ourselves to heaven. It's not possible. No, we need to accept the invitation truly and accept the new clothes, the clean clothes of Christ's righteousness. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, make sure you're wearing the right clothes. Make sure that you've truly accepted the gospel. The only entry requirement to heaven is true acceptance of the gospel. Don't miss that. Jesus is lovingly warning you, don't miss the point. It's about accepting what I have done for you, not about trying to get in off your own merits, off your own ideas, off your own morality like this guy thought. A modern equivalent of this kind of attitude might be, well, I was born in a Christian country. God will let me off. I can get in off that, can't I? I was christened as a baby, surely that makes me all right. I helped the odd old woman over the road a few times. Surely that gets me in. I've done this, that, and the next thing that's good. Um, Most people think I'm a good guy. I've never murdered anyone, really. Therefore, I'll be all right, won't I? I'll get in. Jesus says, no, but I have made a way. I have made a way for you to come into the wedding. Make sure you accept it. Have you accepted the gospel then? I'll ask it again. What have you done with it? And I mean you, not the person next to you, not the person behind you, not the person in front of you. You, have you accepted the gospel? Have you accepted the invitation to the wedding? Have you accepted the invitation to heaven? It's offered to you freely. It's a free gift of God. Eternal life. Relationship with him. Living life as you were designed to live it. And that forever. Not about what you can do. Not about your own morality. Not about your own goodness. Not about how good people think you are. Not even about how bad people think you are. About what Christ has done for you on the cross. Have you accepted it? Have you responded to it? So you're invited to a wedding. How will you RSVP? That's the question. How will you respond? The words of John 3.16 say this. For God so loved the world. It's out of love that he came for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son up to death. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, whoever 
believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what you can have. That can be yours. The free gift of the gospel. The free gift to heaven. The invitation to the wedding banquet. I'll just pray and then after that we'll stand and sing and can it be which I've chosen because the final verse goes like this no condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the the crown through Christ my own. If you're wearing the righteousness of Christ given you in the gospel, you can boldly approach God's throne. A place that previously we couldn't even look at. But now in Christ we can boldly approach our Father. Let's stand and sing this just after I've prayed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the free gift of the gospel. We thank you that you gave up your only son and crushed him to death to punish the sin that we deserved punishing for. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending him. Father, we thank you that he rose from the dead in reality, in history, so that we know that everything he said was true. We know that death is truly defeated. We know that sin is truly ended. And that if we put our faith and trust in you, you offer us forgiveness and you offer us adoption into your family and you offer us us the joy of relationship with yourself as we were designed to live. Thank you so much for that, Father. Father, I pray if if there's anyone here tonight who hasn't accepted the invitation of the gospel, that tonight that would change and that you would come into that heart that your Holy Spirit would come in and clean out. That you would forgive, Father. And that you would bring that person into your family. That they would have confidence that they know God, that you know them. And that they have an eternity in heaven with you awaiting. Father, we pray that that would be a reality in this room tonight. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.